This is AM Rush Sports. I'm your host, Alex Mitchell. We're doing a little special episode tonight on the NFL Draft, specifically what the Giants and Jets are doing with their picks. Going now to AM New York Metro Sports Editor Joe Pantorno. Joe, let's get right into it. In the back of my head, I just hear Sandra Bullock in a southern voice talking about how important the offensive tackle is. The New York Giants pick one. The New York Jets pick one. Joe, I want to hear your thoughts on this first round so far. Well, uh, it, it's been pretty interesting, and I hate using that cliche because whenever you know we label these things, we try and just use the word interesting to be uh, conservative, I suppose. Uh, but really, for the most part, uh, the first 10, 11 picks have gone as close to chalk as a lot of NFL draft analysts and mockers could have seen. Really, going into this draft, we expected to see an abundance of offensive linemen taken within either the top 10 or the top 15. It was just the way the class of 2020 worked out. You had four really good offensive linemen set to come out. Georgia's Andrew Thomas, Iowa's Tristan Wirfs, Alabama's Jedrick Wills, and Louisville's Mekhi Beckman. So, Really, you know, we usually don't see this much activity in terms of offensive linemen this early. But when you have such talent and in really half of those four offensive linemen, NFL-ready talent, uh, it's understandable. But, uh, you know, for the lack of trades, I, you know, I think we just had one as, we, as we're speaking now. Um, that's been a little surprising, I would say. But uh, it's nice to see the, uh, the unsung heroes getting their time to shine on draft night. As someone who was a center in high school, nothing thrills me more than to see the offensive line finally be something cool. But going past just the fact that they're enhancing the line, what does this show as a commitment for the Giants to Daniel Jones and the Jets for Sam Darnold as quarterback, getting them more protection. I think it goes just above beyond playmaking and to the point where they want to make these guys part of the franchise for the long run. Well, it obviously says everything you need to know about their commitment to both franchises, young quarterbacks, just because both the giants and jets had other avenues to take at their respective picks going into the draft. We were debating whether or not the giants would either go offensive line which you, they obviously needed to improve on to protect Daniel Jones, who has been uh, turnover-prone uh, in his rookie year. We all saw that. Uh, and also, it's going to preserve Saquon Barkley for as long as possible because the shelf lives of running backs are short. We all know that. And somebody of his explosive capabilities carries the threat of him flaming out earlier than anticipated. So, it's important to keep the foundation of the team, I guess, on their feet and as healthy and in as great a position to succeed as possible. So, you know, it really, that was what we were thinking heading into the draft that they were going to go whole line. But there was also the possibility of the giants going and taking Clemson's Isaiah Simmons, who, you know, who I watched all last year and, you know, he, this guy had NFL scouts salivating. He's the jack-of-all-trades, 
linebacker who can also play safety. And even if you're shorthanded, he can go in and play cornerback. He could do it all. And that was giving Giants fans the illusion of grandeur where, you know, they were maybe thinking, hey, we can come away with a guy that might remind us of Lawrence Taylor. Not saying he could ever hit those high expectations, but the skill set alone kind of created that hope that maybe for a franchise predicated on defense, as much as the Giants have been for a majority of their existence, Isaiah Simmons could be the next great thing for that team that, for the most part, really doesn't have a bona fide face to it. And, and that really happened when Landon Collins was given the opportunity to walk in free agency. But for the Jets, I think this is a little bit more of a controversial pick. And I'm not saying it's the wrong pick because, really, they couldn't have gone wrong given the way things played out for them. Um, I really thought that they should have gone for a wide receiver. Robbie Anderson's gone. He signed with the Carolina Panthers. And now you're left with Quincy Anunwa, who has been injury-prone for the last few years. He's had neck problems, which is extremely dangerous to deal with, uh, especially for a football player. Uh, and Jamison Crowder, who really had a nice first season with the Jets, but he's a slot receiver. You need that true, explosive outside threat. And at number 11, the Jets had those options. They had any of, again, there was another core four of wide receivers that they could have taken, whether it was Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, um, Justin Jefferson out of LSU, or C.D. Lamb out of Oklahoma. So given the fact that they passed on this opportunity to get Darnold, that high-flying playmaker, to simplify things and just kind of recenter themselves, go back to square one, okay, Yes, we know that Sam Darnold needs a legitimate outside threat. But what's more important right now is making sure that our running back stays on his feet. What's important, uh, I said running back, excuse me, quarterback, making sure that our quarterback stays on his feet and stays healthy and we put him in the best position to succeed. It's also imperative that we give our all-pro running back, who we give a big contract to, that Adam Gaze is not a fan of. We need to make sure that he is in the best position to succeed because he did not have a good first season and he really wasn't given much of a chance to do so. So really, both of these picks are both teams admitting that, hey, we need to go back to basics here. We need to start from the nitty-gritty, the interior, and when we're talking about Dave Gettleman, something that he's been preaching about since he's come on as Giants GM, this is the chance to kind of retool things. There are pieces here. There are weapons here, but now it's time to fully support them and fully lay that foundation to build something solid. So so starting with what you said about the New York Jets, going with the O-line when clearly there were a lot of wide receivers on the market, still a lot of good ones out there for a second round, of course, not exactly top tier, but what could be an asset. A question I have for you about that. Do you think that the Jets are working on some sort of trade right now where they realize, okay, let's acquire the lineman in the draft and trade for the receiver? It could certainly be an option. Uh, I haven't really heard anything 
of about them moving up into the first round to get a second pick. What I was really hearing heading into the draft is that they were willing to just trade from their number 11 spot, whether that was trading up or trading down. And really the, they kind of showed their cards when they, you know, say if they wanted to trade up, they were, they were kind of willing to show their cards there and tip their hand in saying that, you know what, they were probably going to go with a offensive lineman. Just because we knew that the wide receivers, at least the bulk of them, were going to go between the 10 to 20 range. So the only way that the Jets were going to move up is if they legitimately thought that that true offensive line talent that they wanted wasn't going to be there. And then in that same breath, if they traded down, then you kind of have to realize, okay, then their top priority was a wide receiver. Now, like I said, there was that core four of wide receiver prospects that are there. If you look into the second round, there are potentially other options available, whether that's LaVisca Cheneau Jr. out of Colorado, whether that's Brandon Ayuk out of Arizona State. There are options there, but it's not that top-tier you know, game-changer that's going to immediately step in and make a difference. So, again, it's, you know, these are, again, hypotheticals we're dealing with right now, but you know, that's an option. At least the Jets could search. And now jumping over to the Giants, when Tom Coughlin was, you know, running the ship over there, you had a different feeling or a different impression of what commitment to excellence meant than you've seen in the past few seasons with the New York Giants. Meaning that under Coughlin's regime, you knew... Every single down played, even if it was a bogus season, was a step to redemption, was a step to higher ground, and eventually two championships. Now, ever since Gettleman came in, coaching changes. Now we're looking at Joe Judge getting his crack at an opportunity to be a first head coach. Do you sense that same kind of commitment from the Giants that there was some seasons ago or is this judge's chance to earn trust and he wants to play it safely? What do you think on that? I think it's too early to tell right now. And I think a lot of that commitment to excellence that you alluded to under Coughlin uh, really derived from former GM Ernie Accorsi up top. He, you know, uh, a hall of fame executive, uh, at least in my book, I think he is, uh, you know, a huge reason why the Giants were able to reach such heights. And we kind of saw the organization take that downturn and gradually nosedive once Accorsi left and once Jerry Reese came in and once Coughlin left and, you know, McAdoo comes in and Shermer comes in. Uh, there was really a lot of dysfunction, again, uh, towards the top of uh, the Giants' food chain here. I'm not sold on Gettleman. Um, I think he did make a very good call in bringing in Joe Judge. I initially wanted Matt Rule to come in, but Joe Judge has a track record of winning. He's been in the most successful programs in the nation, whether that's in college with Alabama or in the NFL with the Patriots. So I think that Judge is going to help bring the culture change, I think, more than Gettleman can. And I think Judge is the right guy to 
be whispering in Gettleman's ear if he's given that opportunity. And like you said, I think this is the first hint that maybe uh, the culture might be changing within the Giants. And when you look back again at those two Giants championship seasons, Eli Manning had a fortress around him. And the the Giants in 2007-2008 had a Hall of Fame offensive line for the ages. Last season, they had one that was more porous than SpongeBob SquarePants. Yeah, that's been a, it's been a big problem, and it's been a concern of late. It hasn't just been last year. It's been the last couple of years, and I really think that's what accelerated the departure of Eli Manning. Not so much as, yeah, we knew once his contract was up, he was going to be gone. Uh, but the fact that he fell out of favor so quickly, and I think that was accelerated, accelerated by Ben McAdoo as well. Um, but, you know, you had an immobile quarterback running for his life for – you know, the better part of the last three seasons. So he was set up to fail in the first place. So I think really somebody with half a brain over there had to identify that that was the problem. And, you know, they, they took swings and they missed over the past few years, whether you're looking at Justin Pugh, whether you're looking at Eric Flowers, they just didn't work out. Uh, They signed Nate Solder. He struggled mightily here. You know, they come in and they, they bring on uh, Cam Fleming, but he's he's never started more than seven games in a season in his six NFL seasons. So, again, the book's still out on him. So drafting Andrew Thomas was a huge step in the right direction in just stating to the fans that they're willing to take a sensible step forward rather than trying to swing for the fences and just drafting best player available, which a lot of teams take that avenue, and sometimes it just doesn't work out. Now, moving forward, and I agree with what you said, and in a lot of ways, and I tweeted this out earlier, I feel like Thomas is almost intentional redemption for Eric Flowers. Where, <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? I feel like he is brought in to say, this is what flowers was meant to be now we have the right guy for the job right and the giants are getting a talent that can immediately step in this is a guy who basically for three years uh was playing amongst the best offensive line in the country georgia every year is um they're basically a favorite for offensive line of the year in the nation And, you know, the numbers speak for themselves. Even just looking at last year, Georgia has a guy, DeAndre Swift, and he comes out and, you know, you're looking at the stats at the surface. He has 1,218 yards rushing, which is, again, it's a nice season. But go a little deeper, and you see that it's only on 196 rush attempts. So this is a guy who's averaging nine yards per rush. And most of this is coming you know, with Andrew Thomas as the anchor of Georgia's offensive line. So if I'm Saquon Barkley right now, I am, I'm licking my chops. Uh, I'm ready to go because you have a bona fide run blocker who's about to be inserted to the offensive line. And he can really play both sides. He can play left or right tackle, depending on who the organization trusts more, whether it's Solder or Fleming. He can come in and immediately make a difference. Now jumping over to Gangreen, second round, 
how do you think the Jets are going to take this? You know, it's it's tricky. Um, I I would see them or anticipate them trying to get a wide receiver uh, because we all know that that's a enormous need. And really, it was you know going into the eleventh pick uh, while they were on the clock, we we weren't sure until the last couple of seconds, and then it finally leaked that. Okay, Beckton was the favorite, um, again, which was a little bit of a surprise because I think a lot of us had Tristan Wirfs rated a little higher than Beckton. Uh, but regardless, the Jets got a stud here. Um, and, you know, this draft goes from a very good one for the Jets to a great one, in my opinion, if they take a wide receiver in the second round. And now jumping over to the Giants, how do you think they're going to handle the second round? Uh, the Giants need to address their defense, uh, particularly their front seven. And when it comes to the second round, I think that they need to just draft the best player available. Really, when you think about the best Giants teams, uh, probably within the last 40 years, one of their best calling cards has been a dominating pass rush and you just go down the line however great the teams have been there's always been one or two or three there's you know strahan humaniora tuck taylor banks johnson carson the list doesn't you know it, it it goes on really being able to get that bona fide pass rusher that alleviates just a little bit of pressure for a secondary that has not been impressive in the slightest but they made improvements by getting James Bradbury this offseason. Uh, that, that's going to help big time. And, you know, there's going to be a little bit of, a, bit of a risk hoping that a second rounder can come in and star immediately. But I think that's why the Giants did what they did this offseason and brought in guys like Kyler Fackrell and Blake Martinez just to hold the linebacking core together until I think the next best thing comes along. Um, Fackrell has not played a lot, but in the time he has, he's been impressive. So there's hope that at least he can do something there. But really getting that next franchise linebacker that can be that field general for the defense, that's going to go a long way. So I'd like to see the Giants take a swing for that. And then kind of move out towards the secondary uh, later in the draft. So there are two guys coming out, and we talked about this prior, two guys coming out of the University of Notre Dame that I think would fit the Giants program well. Those are two very traditional programs that share a lot of common ground in what they expect from the character of the players. And truth be told, I think that's a big reason as to why Odell Beckham Jr., didn't work out with the New York Giants. The two guys, it's not a linebacker, but he has his brother Romeo. Uh, Julian Aquara coming out of Notre Dame at the defensive end. Do you think there's any interest in bringing him on? Um, I mean, I really haven't heard much, but at the end of the day, this is a promising defensive end prospect and again that's been a position in need for the Giants for a while especially after they dealt Olivier Vernon um, but you know I, I really haven't watched a lot of them 
but I've liked his intangibles from what I see. Uh, he's pretty quick off the line. You know, he's, again, it, it's, he's, I'm comparing him to top prospects here. So it's, I, I don't want to say mediocre, um, but you know, it's, it's second level jump off the line. It's second level strength. Um, you know, he's, I, you know, he's a mid round pick in my opinion. Could he be a sleeper? I mean, sure. Uh, you know, you come in and, and produce at a prestigious university like Notre Dame on a pretty big stage. And, you know, you have a chance to translate well to the NFL. So the possibilities there, uh, I really haven't heard anything about him being linked to the giants or the other way around, but, uh, definitely a name to watch later on in the draft. Sure. He does have the inside information coming from uh, from his brother Romeo Aquara. I thought that might be interesting to see big bro and little bro. But like you said, maybe he's little brother also to some of the other assets out there coming in the second round. But we'll see how the Giants handle it. Another sleeper from Notre Dame, this one in the secondary. I think Alohi Gilman, and I've seen him play in front of a New York crowd when Notre Dame took on Syracuse at Yankee Stadium. I think that this guy is not just slept on, but has shades of Corey Webster in the way that he plays and in the way that he moves. And again, he has that traditionalist mindset that even if it takes him a season or two more to develop, in the long haul, you will get more out of him because of his emotional and his professional maturity that develops as fast as his talent. Right, and he he is mature in some aspects, um, but again, there are a lot of concerns with his game, um, and, and I'll get to that in a second. But really, what I like about him is his urgency and and his aggression. Uh, you know, he's not afraid to step up. He's not afraid to attack. He's not afraid to try and predict and jump routes. Um, and I also, I'm a big fan of his run recognition. He's able to quickly identify uh, and try and bring support to the ground game, which I really like. Um, I, I'm, a little, I'm a little hesitant when it comes to uh, his pursuit of ball carriers. You know, I like his recognition. I don't necessarily like his pursuit for the ball carrier. Um, and, and that kind of brings limitations. Um, you know, he's, he's pretty good in man coverage. His zone coverage is, is not great, and that has a lot of people questioning his football IQ. Um, and, again, when you're looking for a corner that could step in immediately, you know, that's going to keep teams away from him a lot. But... With that being said, there might be good teams who are just looking for depth or for young depth that might see him. And, you know, they say, well, you know what? He has some shortcomings, but this is something that, you know, this is a guy that we can work with. So really, you know, this is this is an athletic corner, an aggressive corner. And, you know, I could see him kind of cutting his cloth on special teams for a year or two, and then maybe making that next step to getting legitimate playing time in an NFL secondary. And I'm going to put you in the home office of 
the general manager before I let you go. And Joe, once again, thanks for coming on to AM Rush at night, I guess PM Rush at this point. Um, what do you say or who – how would you cap off the draft? You don't have to give me specific names, but round by round for the Jets and then the Giants, what would you be seeking? All right, well, for the – I guess we'll start with the Giants here. Um, for the second round, I think I would look for a linebacker. Um, like we said, I think it's imperative that they find a, uh, you know, a stalwart for the front seven. Uh, I think that's really important. Um, and then I think you, then you move back, you, you move back into the secondary. Uh, I think you look for a safety or a corner in round three, uh, in round four, look for that defensive end. Uh, and then round five, go into the interior because that defensive line really doesn't have a lot of immediate redeemable aspects. Um, and then your later picks in round seven, then you can maybe look for a skill player or two. Look for a wide receiver. Um, if you want, you know, maybe look for a corner. Take a chance on a guard because I know they have three seventh round picks. Um, so, again, it's, it's, it's a loose plan, and it all really depends on how things pan out for them. But that should be, I guess, a loose guideline of how to get the most help immediately. Um, for the Jets, again, I think the first two rounds are pretty straightforward. Uh, round one, you're good. You got your offensive lineman. Round two, go for your wide receiver, whether that's Ayuk, whether that's Cheneau whether that's Jalen Rieger out of TCU, who I really like. I think that would be a nice pickup for them. Round three, look for a center. Um, again, I think we're, the Jets are still looking for you know the guy to officially take the torch from Nick Mangold. Uh, that's important. And um, I think they have another round three pick. Go secondary, go safety, find some support for uh, Jamal Adams or possibly a replacement for Jamal Adams because trade talks always seem to be following him wherever he goes. And then um, I guess look for depth. So, you know, in rounds four through seven, look for another wide receiver, look for another offensive tackle, look for heck, look for a punter. Why not? So again, the jets have a lot of holes to fill. And, you know, they'll be able to do it pretty comfortably here. But really, they, the first two rounds are vital. They got their offensive lineman, now get your wide receiver. Uh, and, and that should be enough to make it a pretty successful draft for them. And, Joe, just jumping back to the Giants quickly, I was thinking, when was the last time the Giants had a memorable tight end? To me, it goes to Kevin Boss or maybe Jake Ballard, who – well, short tenured was pretty awesome. Yeah, I would say really Kevin Boss was the last memorable one, but I'm uh, I'm I'm already sold on Evan Ingram, and while he's not your traditional tight end, he's more of a hybrid. I think that he's going to bring an added level to the Giants' passing game, and 
that's going to make Daniel Jones that much better. That's going to give him another target that is going to expand the passing game. And if we remember some of Eli Manning's best years, he went to his tight end a lot, whether that was Jeremy Shockey, whether that was Kevin Boss, whether that was Larry Donnell. So really, if the Giants can get a lot out of Evan Ingram, uh, I really think that's all they need. Um, I understand, uh, you know, Red Allison isn't in the picture anymore. So if they wanted to maybe grab one in the later rounds, that's fine. But really, they're, uh, any, any other tight end they bring on, and I know they signed, uh, his name is escaping me, but they signed a tight end from the 49ers. Um, they're competing for scraps for backup. Uh, so I think they should really be all in on Evan Ingram. Now, the reason I'm bringing up a tight end for the Giants, not for passing, but for the run game and for pass protection, perhaps the best way right now to enhance the offensive line is to get someone off of the offensive line in the meantime. Yeah, that's that's definitely an option. And uh, the guy's name who I'm thinking of is Levine Toilolo, by the way. Um, I think that he could possibly add some tight end help, uh, some blocking help. Um, but again, that's another aspect that the Giants need to, I guess, address because if the tackle spots aren't up to par, whether that's Solder, whether that's Fleming, whether that is now Thomas, then yes, it's going to be imperative for them to get a tight end who can step up and block. So the book will be out on that. All right, Joe, thank you so much for coming on AM Rush. I know we're going to be doing this again soon. Before I leave you off, any final thoughts on what's going on in the draft? Uh, no, not really. I mean, it's been uh, it's been as entertaining as it possibly can be from Roger Goodell's basement. Uh, you know, it's it's been a little slow moving and uh, a little frustrating at times, but uh, at least we have live sports to watch tonight and maybe for the next day or two, so... Uh, you know, enjoy it while we can sports fans. And, uh, yeah, Alex, thanks again so much for having me on and can't wait to do it again. Of course. And, uh, my personal favorite part so far was that, uh, Goodell still got booed, but virtually. So has to happen. Of course. <laughs> it's a tradition like no other. All right, Joe, take care. We'll be, uh, I'm sure we'll be talking again by the end of the weekend, following up on the draft. All right, brother. Sounds good. Take care. You too. All right, and that's it for this edition of AM Rush Sports for the first round of the NFL Draft. We'll see how the Jets and Giants do with all things considered. If you're listening to this late at night as we put it up, thank you. Get a good night's sleep, and fingers crossed for tomorrow. And don't forget, wash your hands. Take care.